So, we are in a series that I've been calling Go Eat Popcorn. Kind of a funny name for a series, but uh, it's all about remembering these four letters that we're going to study in this series. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. All written um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. In there are some amazing foundational truths that I think it's very important for us to get a hold of in order to really experience the full and abundant life that Jesus came for us to have. Last week, just a quick refresher, we talked about salvation. We talked about the law and we talked about grace, but salvation. Remember I said this because it will be important in today's message that uh, we have been saved and we're being saved and we will be saved. When we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, we've been saved. That's known as being justified or justification just as if we'd never sinned, God now deals with us in the perfection of His Son. It's an amazing deal. That's what happens when you come to Christ. Another amazing thing that happens is the Holy Spirit comes in you at that point in time, and He begins this process where we're yielding to Him, and He's beginning the process in us of sanctification. That's all about change. And He's changing us through the course of our lives. This continues on until the point in time when either Jesus has come back or we've gone to be with Him, and then we're glorified. So the ideas of salvation are you have been saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. Those are the terms that we have. And so we need to know that. That's what happens when we come to Christ. Today, I want to talk about redemption and what it means to be redeemed. When Paul uses the term, he's really sort of talking about a specific term which which meant to buy out somebody from slavery into freedom. That's what it meant, the specific legal term. Um, And that's important because we were in slavery to sin, and now in Christ, he's made a way for us to be set free from that. He's bought us out of that, if you would. But um, we're going to look together at perhaps the best story of redemption in the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Ruth together. And so in the very few minutes that we have, we're going to work through um, the, the book of Ruth. I would encourage you later this week, go read it. It's a great reading, and you'll really enjoy it. Joshua Judges Ruth, that's where you find it. And we're going to dig into that in just a moment. Bad joke time. Yeah, see, thank you. I appreciate that. You may not feel like that after we're done here in a minute, but that's good. (laughs) I have a fear of two-letter words. I get scared just thinking about it. (laughs) Come on, you want to laugh. In my dreams, nobody shaves. I have a lot of imagined hairy friends. It's awesome. (laughs) This one you can actually use. Wait, wait, you'll use this one. I used this in conversation the other day with some folks we were at dinner with. And and we started talking about uh, wiring and electrical issues. And I, I said this, well, when people find out that I'm not a very good electrician, they're usually shocked. I got some electricians in here. You can use that, I know. I just think that's more redemptive than the other jokes, which works into the sermon. Here we go. Scripture reading, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What I'm saying, Paul says, is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, 
God has made you also an heir. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Let's hop right into our story. I want to talk about redemption. Point number one, what does it mean for God to redeem us? What does it mean? What is it going on? And as I said, uh, perhaps the best book in the scripture for looking at redemption, one of the best, the whole story is about redemption is Ruth. Remember last week, I encouraged you not to sort of dismiss the Old Testament um, in the whole process, that we, we look at the Old Testament and it teaches us so much. And we look at how God has weaved this story together from old to new and how it's all pointing to Jesus and the cross and what happens there. And we talked about the crimson thread of redemption last week that I said begins at Genesis 3.15 and works its way through the cross. And that as you read those stories, it's amazing how God weaves everything together. Well, Ruth is just like that. And there's amazing things that take place in the book. Let me begin with the first Five verses, and then we'll start to talk from there. Ruth 1. And 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so uh, this sort of sets the stage. Let me give you a little background. At this point in history is the time of the judges. Uh, And the judges sort of ruled Israel for a while, but they didn't do a very good job with it. There was no real established leadership there. They had kind of rejected God as the one who should be their king, and they were without a king, and there was a lot going on. So these judges stepped up. But at the end of the book of Judges, in Judges 21, it says that everybody was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. It was a very scary time in history. You just think about what that would look like. In, in the chaos of that, everybody's doing what they think is right in their own eyes. It was a big mess. So it's a messy time, and there's also a famine in the land. Now, Elimelech, let me also say this. Um, these, they're introducing the names of these people. When you start seeing that in a book, you, you should probably be cued into the idea that their names mean something to the story. And so Elimelech comes in, and every time I say that, I have to go, Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. Okay, done. Now, Elimelech means my God is king. Bethlehem means house of bread. So the the story starts off, there's a famine in the house of bread, which doesn't make sense. And Elimelech, who's my God is king, he's worried about not having enough to eat. So he's going to take his family and go to Moab. Moab is not a good place. has a very bad reputation of being incestuous. They also have a very bad history of not taking care of Israel because during their wanderings, They would not give them bread or water, and yet this was the great plan that uh, Elimelech comes up with. He's going to take his family and go to Moab. Now, his wife, Naomi, her name means pleasant or sweet. That's a pretty good name. Their kids, however, Malon and Kilion, that actually means sick and failing. Not good names for your children. Uh, (laughs) Think about how you name your kids. So... Uh, He has this great idea because he's not trusting God at all to provide for them in the house of bread. He's going to go to this horrible place. He takes his wife pleasant, his two kids, sick and and failing, and off they go on a journey to Moab. Now, almost immediately once they get there, um, Elimelech's not around very long. He dies. It was a bad choice. All right? Anybody ever make a bad choice? 
So they're there in Moab, sick and failing are there. They meet a couple of nice Moabite girls, uh, one named Orpa, which means back of the neck, and one named Ruth, which means friendship or companionship. So that's pretty good. They get married, uh, and yet over the course of 10 years, both the sons die. You kind of knew that. They went in sick and failing. So anyway, <laughs> it's all a clue. So Naomi's left, and, and uh, she has her two daughters-in-law, and Naomi hears that there's food again in the house of bread, and she wants to go back. So she says to her daughters-in-law, listen, I'm going to go back because there's food there, and you know, I'm st- it's not my country. You stay here, and uh, and just go and meet some new husbands and get on with your family. And, and they start to argue about that. And they say, no, we want to go with you. And she says, listen, uh, even if I were to go back and produce a son, it would take way too long for him to ever get old enough to sort of be replacement husbands. And all of that's very important in the house of Israel because lineage was a big deal. And you needed to keep your family line going in order to maintain your property and all the other things went with it. That's part of this story. So um, she talks to her daughters-in-law, and they kind of go back and forth. And Orpah, back of the neck, she does just that, turns around, she leaves, she goes back. But Ruth, companion friend, says, no, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. And Naomi says, okay. And so they head back to Bethlehem. Now, they arrive in Bethlehem, and the people from Bethlehem, the house of bread, they see Naomi, and they walk out to greet her, and they say, oh, uh, Naomi, it's so good to see you. Naomi means pleasant or sweet. This is what she says in Ruth 1.20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter because my life's a big mess. I went away empty. I went away full, came back empty. Although she wasn't all that full when she left. She had a husband that was a big doubter and two two messed up kids. And uh, she comes back with a companion better than she had when she left, but she hasn't figured that out yet. All right. And she's bitter. Anybody here ever been bitter? Don't raise your hand. So now they're back. Well, because Ruth is a a Moabite, she's a stranger in the land, and strangers were allowed to go into the fields and glean. This is a big deal. And what that means is uh, this was God's provision for strangers. When you had a field, you were told not to harvest around the edges and not to over-harvest. You you would leave a little to fall behind you, and strangers could come in and follow your workers, and they could pick up what was there. And it was God's way of providing for strangers. And so um, since she was a stranger, she was allowed to go into the fields and glean um, in the process and what's going on. And so Ruth 2, 3 says, So she went out, and she began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. This is a pretty big deal. Now, also, when you read things in the scripture, like as it turned out, it's just a big God wink because there's no coincidence and stuff. This was all sort of the plan of God to happen. There she is now, and she's in this field, and here comes Boaz into the situation. And Boaz, you got to know this about Boaz, he's a really good man. We're going to talk about that more as we go. So there she is gleaning in the field. Boaz comes on and he says to his workers, say, well, who's the, who's the woman in the field? And uh, they said, well, she's a Moabite. Now, that was not a nice thing to say. It was really brought all this mess with him. We'll talk about it again in just a second. But he says this. Here's what I want you to do. Throw some extra stuff where she's gleaning so she has no trouble picking up more than enough seed and stuff for her and Naomi. And then he walks over and he says, listen, you stay here in the fields. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. I told my guys not to mess with you. When you're thirsty, you can drink out of my water pots. 
and you just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. She's shocked by this. And she, she sort of kneels down and she says, I'm a stranger. Why in the world are you being so kind to me in this process? And he says, you know what? I've heard about the way that you've been treating your mother-in-law, how you've taken care of her, how you've left your home and your family to, to take care of Naomi. And he says, and I'm praying that, that uh, you're repaid by God for what you're doing. Ruth 2.12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come to take refuge. It's a great story so far. And uh, Naomi, Ruth, I mean, goes back to Naomi. And she goes, you're not going to believe what's happened. Uh, This amazing thing happened. I met this guy. His name is Boaz. He's really cool. And he's making it possible for me to glean the field in a way that we can take care of. I can take care of you. And we're going to make it. And and Naomi goes, Boaz, well, he's part of the clan of Elimelech. He's part of the, the process. This is really good news. He's a kinsman redeemer. Now, the, the, the process in Israel at the time was this, because I said lineage was important. If, if while you were married um, and, and your husband were to pass away and you had no children, there was a thing in Israel where someone related to the husband would come in as a redeemer, as a kinsman redeemer, and he would, he would marry that uh, woman. And it, when they had a male offspring, it would not really be it, his child, it is, but it's also be considered uh, the following in the lineage of the the first husband. And that's a big deal because that's how you kept property and everything in Israel. So they had this idea of kinsmen kinsmen redeemers. And and so Boaz is in that situation. And so Naomi says, here's what you're going to do. He says, we got it. You're going to go and ask Boaz to be your redeemer, but we're going to set it up a little bit. She says, you know, tonight Boaz, after he's worked all day, he's going to, he's going to get married is what the Bible says. He's going to have a, he's going to knock back a few. And, uh, he said, uh, you're going to go in at that point in time. Now, here's where you sort of have to know a little history redemptively to see how God is redeeming the story. So the Moabites, where did the Moabites come from? After Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember, Lot was rescued from there with his daughters and his wife. But his wife turned around and became a pillar of salt, right? She wasn't in the story anymore. And they go off to this sort of mountain to hang out. And the daughters, they're all freaked out by everything, and, and they come up with this plan. They say, look, there's no men around, and we need to have children. This, this thing about lineage is so important, and it gets twisted sometimes. So what they do is they get lot drunk, and they go in, and they're impregnated by their father. Incestuous. Out of that union, one of those unions comes Moab. It's a son named Moab, who's the head of all these people. So now start tying this story in. And then you see, it looks like it's being set up. Like Naomi's saying, listen, you're going to go in there. And you're because you're a Moabite. They're going to expect that of you. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in and you're going to make sure he knows you're not there to take advantage of them. So you, you wait till he goes to sleep. You sneak in. And I want you to uncover his feet. And then I want you to lay at his feet. So think of an inverted T. She's down there where there can be nothing misconstrued about her being in any way trying there to take advantage of him. And then the scripture says that he wakes up because his feet are cold, right? So they've been uncovered. You know how that ever happened to you? His feet are cold. And he wakes up and he, he's like, what's going on? And there's a woman down there. And he's a little shocked. That would wake you right up, right? Because he wasn't there when he went to sleep. And he says, who are you? Now, this is good. Let me get back. So think about the shock. All right. So here we go. Ruth 3, 9. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. 
She's like, Boaz, you, you remember you told me I came here to be under the wings of God? Well, you're, you're the, my redeemer, and what you can do is you can, you can be that, your garment. You can put your wings over me and redeem me in the process. So Boaz does. He becomes the kinsman redeemer. There's a little more of the story, but he becomes a kinsman redeemer, and he marries uh, Ruth, and they have a son, and they take that son, and they put the son in Naomi's lap. It's a big picture, uh, and it's a picture of redemption. Now you have... A lineage. Now you can, you're taken care of. This whole thing has been redeemed. And they call her Naomi at that point in time, and she allows it because she's gone from Mara to Naomi. She's gone from bitter to sweet. That's what redemption is. That's point number two. Redemption is moving from bitter to sweet. Genesis four, uh, Galatians 4.7. So you're no longer a slave, Paul says, but a child. Redemption is moving from bondage to freedom, from slavery to sonship, from lost to found, becoming the children of God. See, God has a redeemer for our lives. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. He's a prophetic symbol of, of what's taking place as a redeemer. He's a picture of that whole process. And, and Jesus is a, as a picture of the redemptive life that God has for us in our lives. See, we're all desolate and broken. Our stories are all messed up. Our histories all have this mess in them, just like their histories did. And yet God is so amazing that he's working all those things out to good. And we come just like Ruth did in our brokenness. We sort of, we get to the feet of Jesus and we say, be my redeemer. And he does. And he covers us with his, with the wings of God, with the, the, the blood of Jesus. We're covered and we're redeemed in the process. And, and see, um, this is all it's so important. Last week we talked about salvation. And yes, God wants to save us, but he wants to redeem us, to experience full life, to restore the things in our lives. He takes all the mess and he works it into something else. And it's the most fascinating thing. And he does it over and over and over again in the scripture back again in the old testament in the, and during the exodus the people of israel had just been set free they'd been uh, set free from slavery to the egyptians and they had uh, just gone through the red sea and you remember the story it had parted and the the pharaoh's army had followed them and then it went back on them and they were completely set free the people of israel in the process and they begin walking and wandering there in the desert and since they go three days into the desert and they're thirsty because they can't find anything to drink and they come across this, this, this stream, this river, but they can't drink the water. It's bitter. It's called Mara. We just heard that name, right? Sorry, let me read it to you. So here's what happens. So uh, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, verse 22 of Exodus 15. And then they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. When you read the, the Bible and you see a tree, it almost always is a picture of the cross, okay? And, and the word there is fascinating. God showed him a tree. That word showed is the same word for Torah. And Torah is what they call the first five books of the Old Testament. And, and the, the, I told you that whole thing is pointing to Jesus. Well, it's pointing again to Jesus. It's the crimson thread of redemption that's working through the process. And so God points him to this tree and Moses takes the tree and he throws it into the water and the bitter waters become sweet. And it's a picture of what he does on the cross for us. See, it's the same thing. When we come to him, he's made a way for us to go from bitter to sweet, to be redeemed in the process. It's significant. And what happens then, point three, is that being redeemed, redemption leads to a redemptive life. 
And, and a redemptive life leads to a full life in the process. Galatians 4, 7, since you're a child, God has made you also an heir. The promises are all yours. He wants this fulfillment in you. And so when you begin to understand what God has done for you, it causes you to live differently in the world and to start allowing the grace of God and the love of God to move through you and impact the people around you. Remember I said Boaz was a really good guy and just dripping with kindness. Everywhere he went, may the Lord bless you. It was his greeting. And you go, well, why was he such a kind guy? Well, there's something that maybe you haven't connected, but you need to connect in the scripture. Boaz has a pretty famous mom in the scripture. Uh, her name is Rahab. And Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho who was rescued by the kindness of God. And so Boaz grows up knowing of God's kindness and grace because of the story of his mom being rescued in the process. Joshua 6. I'm going to skip down to verse 25. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent his spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, what happened was, Scripture tells us in Matthew that she marries an Israelite named Salmon, and Salmon uh, is the father, with, with uh, Rahab, of Boaz. And so he understands the kindness and the goodness of God. And you also need to know that this lineage is really fascinating in the process. So what happens is, so Boaz and, and uh, uh, Ruth, they have a son named Obed, and Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David, who you would know as the king of Israel, King David. Also, all of that's the lineage of Jesus. You see how God is redeeming these stories from a prostitute in Jericho through a messed up Moabite into this lineage that brings Jesus? That's what he's doing with all of our stories, guys. He's just pulling us into this whole big thing, and he's redeeming it, and he's making it something that's amazing out of something that's a mess. You know that story... Obed. Let me just... Obed. So cool. Obed's name. All the names were important, right? So we have Ruth, who's a companion or a friend. We have Boaz, who's a type of Jesus. And so they get together and they produce a son named Obed. And Obed's name means servant worshiper. And so when you're a companion or a friend of Jesus, the, the result in your life is a heart that serves and worships God. It's redemptive throughout the scriptures like that. So you need to take that in when you read it. And my hope is that every time you read the scripture and you hear that word redemption, that you think about what's going on with Ruth because God's in the business of restoring and redeeming our lives. We think back on our own lives. Alice and I were talking this week. And, you know, when we first came here, I came to the Keys first, very much alone when I was down here at 19. And then Alice came about a year or two later. I, and her, uh, her husband, her brother... And I were best friends, and, and uh, I saw her, and I was like, oh, who's the girl? Sort of like Boaz. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we, we, you know, so here we are all these years later. And, uh, but we were, you know, we were very much alone. Our families lived in other places, and both of our families were a little messed up. Everybody's family was a little messed up. Uh, so we're very much alone to the point of, um, you know, we, we, we did start coming to church finally, and that began to be a process of bringing sort of family back in. But when we had uh, Sarah, our first daughter, we didn't have any family here to help. And fortunately, we had some friends in the church, but it was just difficult, right? 
And, and, and then we've been blessed. We have, a, we have a great daughter and we have a great son. And, and they're both married now to, to families that live here. Uh, and, uh, and so we have a son-in-law and we have a daughter-in-law. And we have seven grandchildren. And they're all around and they're all staying here and they're right here. And so from, from sort of nothing comes something. And see, that's the picture of redemption. It's nothing to something. It's bitter to sweet. It's slavery to being a child. It's amazing in the process. And, and don't ever get discouraged with the messed up story. God takes a messed up story and makes it something else. And that's redemption. So, I'm going to end it there. That's enough. Ministry team, those of you here, why don't you head over the wall? People on the way over the wall are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. But let me pray for you as a group. And then we'll dismiss. Papa, thank you your amazing love for us and how you take our messed up stories and you turn them into something else. Lives that bring you glory, that serve and worship you. And I, and I pray, Papa, that as that happens, not only are we being changed, but you're allowing us to impact the world around us for you. That you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area. That hundreds and thousands of people will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would just bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. This one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome God. You're such an awesome God. If you need prayer for anything this morning, the folks over there will pray for you. Healing, relationship, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your Redeemer. Let's take care of that today, right now. It's humility and faith. And humility is just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us, you've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you, which you'll do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you have never prayed a prayer like that, do it now. If you need help, go over there and ask somebody. You say, I want to know Jesus. And they'll know exactly what you mean, and they'll help you through a prayer like that. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay and have breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided today. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in for the 11 o'clock service, God, so they can hear about your love for them. You're an amazing God. Praise God from whom. bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace and go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Breakfast will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another out in the parking lot. If you've got a team in the game, I hope your team wins. Catch some fish. Have a good time. Try not to eat too much snacks. God bless you. Bye.